the Making Sense of Life podcast number 36. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja, as we think through what it, makes, what it means to make sense of life in an increasingly challenging and complex world. And part of that complexity comes from that subject of technology. You know, technology is such a fundamental part of our lives. From the moment we wake up to check our clocks, or more, or more likely our smartphones, to then often seamlessly go onto the internet, social media and email. We take technology so much for granted, and yet it's easy to forget that in the, in the two terms of his presidency, Bill Clinton, between 1993 and 2001, only sent a grand total of two emails. And that was because uh, emails were only invented. It was a completely new thing. And I've been known to make my teenage children groan when I tell them that I only got a mobile phone when I was in my early 30s. But in a few short years, the internet has gone way beyond its original use as being a communication tech uh, network for the American military that could withstand nuclear attack in the Cold War, or when Facebook was a way to connect students at Harvard University, or the World Wide Web, or WW dot, was used to sharing research finding among nuclear, science, nuclear physicists. Now, all those three things, the internet, Facebook, and the World Wide Web, or WW dot, they're just an essential part of our lives. We can't think of how we could live without the without the technology. But what does it mean to handle this onslaught of technology into our lives? You know, it's gradually crept up, up, up on us and it's so ordinary and commonplace. It's everywhere we look. But how does te technology impact and shape what it means to be human? How can we flourish and thrive in such a fast-changing world, changing so quickly because of the immense amounts of, of things that are coming at us through technology? Well. To think about that, we've got a special guest today, Pete Nicholas. Hi, Pete. Great to have you here. Thanks, Sunil. Great to be here. So just to introduce Pete for us, Pete is married to Rebecca, and they've got a young son. He studied at Oxford University, where he did uh, philosophy, politics, and economics, and was also in the technology industry for Accenture as a strategy consultant, uh, in, particularly in the communications and high-tech sector. But he's now a pastor of a church in central London called Inspire. But the reason why we call Pete in today is because he's written a book on the impact of technology in our lives, and it's, called, it's here in my hand, it's called Virtually Human. He's written it with, with a friend of his, Ed Brooks. So um, welcome, Pete, and it's great to have you here, and it's great to think through what is such an important subject. Um, Pete, I'm going to start by quoting from the back of your book, and it says, The world is changing fast, and digital technology fastest of all. The growth of social media and increasingly innovative digital advancement raises questions, you say, for every Christian, but I think I'd say for everybody on the planet, really. Mm. 
How should we understand the digital age and how should we live well within it? These technologies hold awesome potential for good, but when we engage unthinkingly with the online world, there is a danger uh, there is danger that we begin to become increasingly like the technologies we use, relating and thinking without human connection. We feel short of what we were made to be. We are, as you say in the book, virtually human. So, Pete, I found, what I found particularly fascinating about the book was it's not just a book about technology. Okay? It's not about how to navigate through Facebook or the internet. It's much more than that. It actually asks much deeper questions about what does it actually mean to be human and how is technology actually changing us as human beings? Mm. So before we dig into the book, I want, to, I want you to tell us, Pete, why did you and Ed Brooks choose to write such a book? I don't think we, it was something that we initially you know, had planned from a distance to do. Um, I was asked to do a series of seminars because there were, I was at a church in Oxford when I was studying at Theological College, and I think the pastor of that church assumed that studying at Theological College gave me extra time on my hands, which wasn't <laughs> okay. actually true. Okay. Um, and also he knew that I had a bit of a background in technology and a number of concerned voices, actually, parents, grandparents, um, particularly within the congregation, had come to him and were concerned about how... They couldn't really understand what their teenagers were doing yes. on social it's media. It's a gulf between different generations Very as much. Well. And yes. they wanted some kind of guidance about that. And they were aware enough to realize that these were kind of issues that they wanted to address as parents, but they felt at sea, really, and needing some kind of navigation point. So I was asked to do a couple of seminars. But as with these things, often they are, it grew because the people we had coming to the seminars were very wide-ranging from tech innovators working for Google through to parents, through to grandparents, through to teenagers and everything in between. Um, and in researching for the seminars, I think that both Ed and I realized at that point that there, weren't, there wasn't a, re a really large library of good material out there speaking into this issue. In fact, the kind of the, the applied theology part of the library on technology was pretty thin. Yes. And a lot of the books, good as some of them were, weren't really getting much beyond a kind of superficial engagement. Of and how also, because it obviously gets out of date very, very quickly because it's, yeah. it's moving so rapidly. Yes, yeah. and also there was a, maybe, maybe people weren't pushing um, deep enough into the issues to get beyond things like how do we stop Facebook becoming an idol, yes. which is an important issue, but is not really the, the, maybe the, you know, the sum total of what you could say. Yes. And so on the back of that, someone asked me, um, would I consider writing a book? And I said, not on my own. Um, but Ed and I knew each other very well, and we talked about doing a couple of pilot chapters and seeing whether it was a completely foolish idea. And um, then we enjoyed writing the pilot chapters, and Great, the rest yeah. wrote itself. And it's certainly, it's certainly a very, very readable book and very easy to, to, to grasp. But let's start by thinking. Let's go to, to, to basics and fundamentals, as you do in the book. What, when we, we're talking about technology, what do we mean by technology? And... You know, many people say it's just like a tool, you know, it, and, and it's just a tool that we use. Like I've got a hammer and, you know, mm. I could use a hammer to, to build a house. Or I could use a hammer to hit somebody on the head. So how do you respond to that? You know, what do we mean by technology and, and is it just neutral? Because you've got yeah. some strong views on that. Yeah, one of the things, I, I think one of the things we try to say within the book is we pick up on um, a philosopher of um, technology called Martin Heidegger, um, you know, kind of late modern philosopher. And um, he wrote a number of really helpful essays on, um, and on, on technology. And one of the phrases that he used, which I think is very instructive, is he says, the essence of techno technology is not actually anything technological. Right. Um, okay. By which he is saying that really to think of technology purely as the buttons you press, the device you have, mm. really doesn't 
enter into and fully understand the way that technology works and the way that technology shapes the world. And so he uses an illustration which was current at the time, though it would seem outdated now, where he talks about mining. And I mean, it's memorable because his name is Heidegger and so you get the digger kind of analogy. But he looks at the field and he says, when you don't know that there's the technology to mine the field, then you see the field in certain ways in terms of its agricultural purpose. But the moment that you're aware that there there is a tool which can mine the field, Mm-hmm. then you look at the field differently. It's not just that you can yeah. mine the field. So it's, it's not just a field now. Now it's got potential. What, exactly. You're you asking the question about the field. It? What's can underneath the field? Would it be better to mine the field or to use it for agriculture? And so in that sense, he used this phrase, enframement, where the technology frames the world and changes the way you see the world. And that's what he means when he says the essence of technology is actually not anything technological. Rather, it is the way that we shape the world and the way... Yes. Um, that therefore we see the world. And it's interesting how much that's picked up in modern adverts where the screens are constantly seen as seeing a new flourishing life through the screens. Right. It's rare actually in most, and I know this from my consultancy days, it's rare that you have a technology advert that actually really picks up on the functionality of okay. the technology. If you think of the Apple adverts, they yes. more tend to focus on what life they help you realize and yes. live in yes. and frame. So this kind of utopia, this kind of exactly. idealized kind of world that, and, and, and the wonders that would mean. So a picture of freedom and of yes. flourishing in a human relationships. You rarely have a Facebook advert that is focusing on the latest new innovation about an app or an algorithm within Facebook. It rather shows you people relating and people talking. And actually, you don't really see anything of Facebook. No. Now, why is that? Well, because the essence of technology is nothing technological. It's actually yes. about the life it's helping you to frame and to view. And what's so fascinating about that is that if you could have spoken to our parents or grandparents and told us that, you know, you'll have a device in your pocket that can enable you to communicate with anybody in the world and would enable you to get any information you want at any time, they would have thought, well, that sounds like heaven. <laughs> they, <laughs> right. they would have thought that sounds like yeah, And yet we're living in that world right now, which is, is completely unbelievable for just even our grandparents' generation, I think. Mm. Um, and yet we certainly know it's not heaven. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's always there's the utopia, dystopia you know, kind of tension, you know, on one level, every technological innovation opens up a world of new possibilities, but every, but in opening up a world of new possibilities, it also shuts down and closes down other possibilities. And so it's navigating those two tensions, okay. which is part of the challenge. Okay, so, we, we, yeah, okay, that's helpful to think in those terms. So, um, and I just, sorry, I just think of my own personal example of that, I, I always remember that, just thinking, I was in the car, this is, I remember it was, it was about 1999 with, with, with a colleague, from Ghana, and his phone rang. And again, it's very ordinary now to talk about it now, but then it, I was quite amazed by it because he had a conference call with his, I think it was, this was in London. I was in London in the car, driving in the car with him. His phone rings, and it's, I think his sister in, in, in Ghana and his brother in the US all having this conversation in my car. And I'm thinking, <laughs> the world is changing. Mm. It's quite fundamentally changing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's when, when you hear the different commentators, and whether the commentators in our own heads or the commentators, social commentators or digital media commentators, often they become quite polarized between two views, which is the one where we're trying to navigate um, a different route. One is, you know, a kind of uh, technology is shaping and controlling us, and those are often the voices of concern, mm. and what are they doing to our young people, to our teenagers, you know, and yes. to us as well. And the other view is often, well, no, technology is something we're in control of and we master and it's just a tool. And so, yes. you know, technically the phrase of technological determinism, it's determining us and technological instrumentalism, it's just an instrument, it's just a tool. Yeah. And you, you find people sway backwards and forwards right. between those two. And that's why I think Heidegger's analysis is such a helpful starting point. They actually 
both of those are wrong, yes. they're both half-truths, there is a way in which, of course, technology is a tool that we use, and there is a way in which it shapes us. But actually, the framing picture, I think, is much more instructive and um, gets a lot deeper into the real nature of technology. Okay, yeah. So this issue that, that you just said, so it's, we're not necessarily as much in control as we like to think. You talked about this, it's, we're, we're given this sort of story that we're creating a bold new future for ourselves. It's mm. going to be never-ending progress. <coughs> but can you expand on that? But that's far from the case. Yeah, yeah so I mean, there's um, something which is an interesting exercise to do is to look up, for example, the humanist manifestos. We mentioned this in the book. Um, you know, they've, they've come at various periods of the late modern era as, um, you know, there's been this kind of utopian ideal of technology is going to be a key instrument for us realising the future which humanity is destined to achieve. So it's like sort of salvation kind of Yeah, story. kind of eradicate all poverty, um, eradicate all hunger, eradicate all disease. And you're even getting it, you get, it comes in various forms and... Um, recently, the kind of latest manifestation of it is something that's called transhumanism, which is the idea that by an integration of humanity with technology, whether it's kind of gene splicing or wearable tech or things like that, that we will again be able to create and shape this bold new future that will mm. deal with all the problems. And you hear it when Mark Zuckerberg says things like, I'm going to set up a fund and we will eventually work out how to eradicate all yeah. disease. You know, recently, this is the kind of humanism transhumanism ideal and the idea is that technology is a key resource or tool that we can leverage to achieve yes. that yes. but the problem with that is um i mean there's lots of problems with that one of the problems with that is it it underestimates the sense in which technology is actually not just a tool we leverage but technology actually exerts an influence over us yes. as well um, okay uh, well, we're going to come to that more but you, you you make a case for there needing to be to be a bigger and more comprehensive overriding story. Yeah. Now, as we haven't talked really in terms of you, you're a church pastor and a disciple of Christ, you explain how the story needs to be subsumed in the greater story of God reconciling mankind through mm. Christ. Um, and you say on page 42, we live in God's world and in his time. He's given us life in the present and calls us not to live in the past, but to learn from the past for the sake of the present and the future. And I think in the past, we've always, as, 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 a, as a race, we've always think if we just get the next technological advance, then we will then be able to, to break through. Sure. Yeah. But what, what's, the, what's, what's the, what's, well, what, what is the story that you think that would help us there? Well, I mean, you, partly just the, if you think of the power of the flashing cursor on the screen, you know, yes. blank page, flashing cursor, whether it's in a status update or whether it's in a tweet, and the attraction of that um, for a lot of um, you know, people who are users of technology today is that it, it seems to create a world of endless possibilities. I get mm. to define my identity, shape public discourse, um, you know, determine my social network, and it's a blank page. We mm. think it's a blank page and I can do anything with it. And that is a lot of the story, the late modern story of technology, which is through technology we are going to be able to bring light to the world and shape our future we, we reference the book for example the start of the uh, 2012 London Olympics mm. and where you have this very powerful picture at the moment in the opening ceremony where everything goes dark and then the light that comes into the darkness is Tim Berners-Lee sitting at his um, desktop and there's just the light of the screen yeah. and in a world of darkness where does light come from it comes from technology and technology is now bringing light into the darkness now as Christians that is <laughs> very yeah. um, that is more than a little bit reminiscent yes. of uh, John chapter 1 you know that light yeah, has shone in the darkness and that God is the one who brings light into the darkness and so what you often see with technology is you see two competing narratives you see the voice of 
pro progress and the voice of concern. The voice of progress is blank slate, yeah. bold new future, technology will help you to write the future. Yeah. And it's the narrative of progress that all moving forwards and yeah. all new innovations by just by them virtue of them being new are an advance and an improvement. And then you find the voices of concern who are saying, well, no, 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 this, this technology, these new technologies are very concerning and we're worried about them. We're worried about the pace of change or the nature of change. And they hark back to yesteryear when we yeah. didn't have the internet or we didn't have social media and things were so much simpler then and relationships were so much richer. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are flawed narratives. Yeah. Um, the first one is flawed because it's not a blank slate and we don't get to shape the future in that way, in a pure way, because God is actually the one who determines our boundaries and our times and the place we live in. And there's significant shape already given to the cre to creation which we can work with, um, but we don't get to ultimately you know, start on a blank slate. And the other narrative is wrong looking back to yesteryear because, of course, technology has always been with us since the dawn yeah. of time. And yesteryear's technology was equally a mixture of good and bad as today's technology is. And so harking back to yesteryear fails to realize the it's good and the bad I, I, in that technology. You know, yeah. a wheel is technology and a wheel has good and bad things to it in the same way the internet does. Yeah. And what it doesn't account for is the irrationality of human nature. I mean, I always remember, in, I think it was in the 80s as, as a child, there was an advert on TV about fiat cars and it said, um, I think it was uh, designed by computer built by a robot, and then the joke that, it, was not, it wasn't the advert, but the, the joke that was well, you'd go around and driven by an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, and you know, like to, 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 to play around with the phrase, you know, idiots, you know, if that's the right phrase, were involved at actually every stage of production. It was designed by human beings who were flawed. <laughs> it was manufactured by human beings, albeit maybe through robots who are flawed, um, and it's used by human beings who are flawed, so there is, there is common grace and there is also flaws all the way through the whole process and therefore of course technology is not neutral. Yes, and you put it on page 24 of the book, you give a very helpful quote from the writer C.S. Lewis about progress mm. um, and you say um, progress can't be progress without a direction destination and then you quote Lewis, he says progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be and if you've taken a wrong turning then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back sooner is the more progressive man. Hmm. So, so you're saying, you know, it, it, it isn't just this, like the, the message that we're given, it, it's always one hunky-dory story going forward. But do you want to elaborate on that? You know, so, so what should we be doing then? Well, I mean, I think one of the stories that technology tells, I mean, one of the things we, we claim in the book is that technology and part of the power of technology is always comes uh, along with it with a narrative. And the narrative is what really um, inframes the vision it's of technology. It's not neutral. They're, they're, everything's got a story to it. Exactly. It? Yeah. So, you know, the narrative of Facebook is it will, it's a social, um, uh, social infrastructure tool that will enable you to form deeper, more meaningful, better, greater, longer lasting, further reaching relationships. That's the narrative. Um, uh, the narrative of Twitter is that it's um, you know, a, a key tool for public discourse. You can get involved, it democratizes public discourse. Your opinion is valid as everybody else's, for example. So the, every technology comes with its, um, its own narrative. And technology, big picture, comes with a narrative as well. And the, the narrative is even there in the phrases that we use as we narrate history. So we think back and what was in the, in the yesteryear of history. Well, that was the Dark Ages. Mm. And um, then we come to the period after the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. And then after the Middle Ages, we get the Enlightenment. Do you see how it's getting lighter? Like, yes. And now we get to developed and not developed countries and, you know, and yes. developing countries. Yes. And so the whole narrative is one of, you know, saying that things are getting better and better and better. Now, the, the Christian take on that is not to deny that there is real and meaningful progress, but is to also ask the question, 
progress assumes a coherent goal or vision you're heading for, what is that goal you're heading for? And within particular technologies, is Facebook, for example, helping us to get nearer to the goal, the meaningful right end of human relationships? Or is it taking us away from human relationships? It's certainly doing something about human relationships. Mm. But are Facebook, and has Mark Zuckerberg himself, and you know the people behind Facebook, really thought carefully about what is the coherent goal? Interestingly, they have, but now once you actually hear from them what that goal is, you can then evaluate it. And of course, that raised the question, what do good human relationships look like? Yes. And this is where the Bible is so important to bring in as an authority on this, because the scriptures talk hugely. In fact, one of the great preoccupations is the character of God and then the image of God, which is us human beings, and what it looks like for us to flourish. So what do flourishing human relationships look like? What does a flourishing human being look like? Because we've got to go, I think you talk about the book is in the same way that a carpenter works with the grain of wood mm-hmm. to to bring the best out of the wood, then in the same way we need to w- work with the grain of which have the way that we've been created so that we can sure. understand that rather than, as it were, just taking a blank state and defining something for ourselves. Yeah, so to give a concrete example, recently in, the, in a, a, a letter that Mark Zuckerberg wrote mm. you know, um, to all of the Facebook community, the kind of global community of two billion people or whatever they use Facebook, yeah, um, in that he you know, said that Facebook is social infrastructure and is there and that actually much good will be accomplished by bringing people together. Now, you want to evaluate that claim. Um, is just bringing people together yeah. good? Hmm. Well, no. Is bringing it? people together can be good or bad. So yeah. in the Bible, you can bring people together to create the Tower of Babel, which is idolatrous and is an affront to God and is a deconstruction of everything it means to be human, and that's bad. You can bring people together in Charlottesville to cause violence and um, terrorism, of course. Yeah. So bringing people together is not a good in and of itself. Sure. That's naive. You bringing know, people together for an end, that. right. You but know. bringing people together to worship God, to foster meaningful discourse, to bring about reconciliation is good. Mm. So Mark Zuckerberg is saying the whole point of human existence is to bring people together. And a moment's careful reflection on that would expose the holes in that. And but that's our point. You need to realise the goal and then evaluate the goal and say, is it really So is he as a businessman, in a sense, also doing something which, he, which can bring the maximum number of people together? Because he can't go any further than that. Well, I think this is the interesting thing about um, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a curious mixture of profit motive plus vision and idealism. And this is where it's different to other, yes. um, you know, other kind of um, milieus of business. Um, it's not fair just to caricature you know, them or Mark Zuckerberg as being purely motivated by the profit motive. They really do want to shape the world. But of course, and they've got the power. They've got, they've got the power to right. do it. Right, but the profit motive is in there as well because yes. they have a bottom line, and the bottom line often is the bottom line. But equally, if Mark Zuckerberg is shaping the future, you have to ask about his qualifications and where he's getting from. What's his authority? Is, yes. he, a, is he a very fine philosopher? Has he got the right answers? Because you know, this is, this is the question we've got to evaluate. And if he's got all this influence of shaping Facebook and two billion people towards a certain future, is that a future we want to be heading for? Or do we want to raise some questions about it and push back on it? And you know, these are the questions we need to be asking. Yes. So in the book, as, as, as you continue to explore and ask these questions, you talk about the, the need for a, for a reboot. You mm. know, on the computers, you, you press uh, Control-Alt-Delete, I think, on, on, um, uh, on Microsoft computers, and then it, the, the the computer reboots, um, and you link this in, in with, with what you call the, the new creation 
Did you want to just elaborate on that for us? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we're trying to pick up on the language of <clears throat> sometimes the way that people <clears throat> would, as we, and I've sketched out the kind of the dangers of just harking back to yesteryear as though we would, you know, maybe return, <laughs> press return and just head and yeah, we or delete. That's right. We can't do that. We can't do that. Yeah. So sometimes what people want to say is that they want to, well, start it completely over and, you know, uh, wipe everything and then just start from a new blank slate. And of course, that's not possible either. Rather, what the scriptures talk about, it talk about God's work of redemption um, in coming in and redeeming things. And as, um, as a kind of reboot whereby you retain your factory settings, but you cleanse out of the system the bugs and the problems. And so in the biblical way of thinking, when Christ comes and dies on the cross and rises to new life and therefore ultimately brings in by the Spirit the new age which will be fulfilled in the new creation, it is not a wiping of the slate and a doing away with everything that's come before it. Rather, it's a retaining of all that is good, but a cleansing of you know the bugs. I mean, bugs is probably not a serious enough term to use it, but we're working with the, yeah. the metaphor, the bugs in the system, the bugs of sin, the bugs of the consequence of sin, the bugs of the devil. selfishness and pride and arrogance yeah. Yeah, that we see so much in our world. Yeah. Exactly, and so all those things are cleansed out by the redemptive work of Christ, and um, but the but the integrity, if you like, the factory settings of the new creation, the order itself, and all that's been working through history is retained. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's neither, we're neither returning back to the Garden of Eden. Of course, the new creation is both a city and a garden in Revelation 21. It's a garden because it retains the integrity of the Garden of Eden, but it's a city because it's working forward to a new future, yes. a, pro a progressive future. And one, of course, a city is one that will... In Involved technology. Yeah, um, so interestingly, very interesting concept there. Yeah. So, um, just thinking in terms of trying to, to, to bring this together, um, if we try and summarise, because we're, we're going to get practical, but I think we're going to do that on, on the next podcast rather than this one. Um, you talk about should we see blessing? We, we we shouldn't see technology as a blessing or a curse. It is what it is, mm. and we have to work mm. with it. Um, you, you're, you're keen to point out that there are no simple, straightforward answers, and so it's not just a matter of saying, as you said earlier on, that technology is somehow bad and we need to go back to a yesteryear because we can't, you know, the cat is out of the bag. We have, <laughs> we have, to, we have to work with it. It creates new opportunities. Mm. Um, anything else you want to say or, or things that we haven't covered in terms of... How, we're, we're going to talk in more detail in the next podcast about the practical implications, and we're going to talk particularly around the area of, of how technology is is impacting and how we can, as it were, deal with issues of how it's impacting our relationships, the area of sex, the area of time, mm. the area of, of, of wisdom. Um, anything else which we haven't covered you, that you think is important, that we understand as first as, as the basic principles around, uh, around, if you like, the frame within which we're talking? Yeah, well, I think there's two key principles we try to, to kind of draw out, which is all technology will therefore be a mixture of good and bad. And of course, some may have a heavier element of bad in it than good. And, you know, for example, online pornography is going to be, you know, almost exclusively bad. But even within something like that, there is still always, you know, um, bad is always a distortion of the good. And so there's a distorted desire within online pornography, a desire for connection, a desire for sexual relationship, which has become hugely distorted. So mm. we're not advocating, we're not saying that there aren't things that you would want to completely stop or completely cut out. Of course, there's definitely a case for that. I mean, there's no sense in which online pornography would ever be acceptable or would ever be helpful. So you need to cut because that out. It, because it's separating the, the, the person 
from the image. It's, it's, it's fragmenting us. Yeah, it? there's going to be lots of there's there's lots of reasons why it's kind of wrong. But but it's also we can't be just so unnuanced just to, to say tell me the things I need to stop and tell me the things I need to start. Yeah. Because there will be lots of technology and Facebook, for example, is a great example, um, which will be a mixture. There is lots that's good about Facebook, and there's lots that's bad about Facebook. So, what is a Christian engagement, or what is a human engagement with Facebook that is thoughtful, and deep and meaningful, really look like? Well, there'll be certain practices we will want to stop, and there'll be certain practices that we will want to start. But that will first of all need to start with an on with an honest discussion, which looks at the good and the bad, and so says what is good about this that we can go with, what is bad about this that we're going to need to push back on. And what is in between that needs to be worked with and redeemed? Um, so, for example, uh, as I connect with my friends on Facebook, mm. and that's a good thing to be connected with them, maybe I need to work with the language of Facebook when we've got this language of friends now and recognize how that is changing the nature of friendship. So I, I, that's a thing. I can't suddenly resist and say I'm not going to call friends on Facebook friends. That's defined for me. Yeah. But maybe I want to make sure that they really are friends and therefore I'm taking the conversation offline, not just yeah. online. That's right. So I don't see just all my communication is through media, but I see that it's, it's facilitating something that can hopefully be richer and deeper because, because of the technology, yeah. not in spite of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and therefore thinking carefully about, you know, what are the times when actually a post is not going to be appropriate and I need to pick up the phone to talk to someone or heaven forbid I should write a letter or actually meet with someone yeah. and thinking even about the modes of communication and how that will impact fr and influence friendship um, and that's again where I think a more nuanced approach not just of should we be on Facebook or shouldn't we be on Facebook or you know my Christian engagement is should I share verses on Facebook but actually how can we work with the nature of Facebook to see what's good and bad in it and therefore what's a yes and a no approach to it so well, how does that we see the common grace of um, of God's creation in Facebook, which we can go with, and where do we see distortion of sin and moral failure before a holy God there, and what do we need to resist and push back on? And so keeping those things, and therefore the answer will not be a kind of creamy middle, but will be in these ways it's a yes, and yeah. in these ways it's a no, and that's the starting point for our discussion, I think. Okay, so thank you, Pete. We've covered then the first part of the book about the theory behind technology. Um, in our next podcast, we'll be looking at the practical implications, particularly with respect to identity, relationships, time, sex, knowledge, and wisdom. Um, as I said, the book is uh, Virtually Human, Flourishing in a Digital World by Ed Brooks and Pete Nicholas. Uh, there'll be show notes uh, that go with this podcast, as well as a link to the book itself at drsunil.com. Um, anything finally you want to say, Pete? Well, we've got a website up, which is, um, you know, which if you type in virtuallyhuman.co.uk, then that shows you some more resources, blogs um, that we've written. We're writing bi-monthly blog for the Evangelical Alliance and for Evangelicals Now, um, their publication, um, and so blogs and some other material and videos are on that um, website um, for, to resource people as well. Okay, well, thank you very much, Pete, and we'll continue the conversation. Thank Thanks, Sunil. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time,
goodbye for now.